perfect uh, week this week as my phone starts beeping. Hold on a second. I'm probably like, nope, I'm not feedback looping. Thank goodness. But I uh, had a great week this week at Front Sight. Got to shoot some machine guns and go through a very intensive uh, firearms training course that was just unbelievable out there. If you've never been to Front Sight, you ought to go. But, um, yeah, we're back. I'm exhausted. If you're wondering how I got a sunburn in January in the middle of winter, it's because I've been out in the middle of the Nevada <laughs> desert about a mile on the other side of the California border. And, uh, wow, what a, what an education out there. But, uh, anyway, John, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be back. You're welcome. Good to have you back. And, uh, we got more, we, we talked about having you back on a few weeks ago to go more in depth on, uh, all of this good stuff. And, uh, so what do you got for us tonight, John? We, oh, we, we covered quite a, quite a bit. I thought maybe we would, uh, Oh, maybe I, should, maybe I should start with that. There's a little picture of the book. So <laughs> within there, I got to get better habit of doing that. I right. just jump into well, the I, And I had it sitting here to hold oh, up okay. next. But, you know, I mean, you'll have to ask John for a special autograph copy like mine. But, you know. <laughs> I, I, I can send those if you can email me. I gotta, I'll have a limited uh, number of those. And then I got it sitting up there. You can see. Uh, we covered quite a bit. I think um, precision uh, education it would be something we didn't talk about. We've got augmented reality in, in the uh, curriculum, we've got virtual reality in the curriculum. Uh, and then we've talked a little bit about the artificial intelligence, but um, we might, we might touch a little bit more on that as it relates to those, those two uh, technologies and then solutions, right? So we've talked a lot about problems, take a look at some solutions and it's like a five point bullet. I think uh, we got and uh, just really quickly, uh, Steve, thanks for the uh, $10 donation. I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, throw in your super chats. Of course, the show is listener-sponsored, always has been. Um, so you can uh, throw up a super chat or go to logosmedia.com and uh, you know support the show that way. There's also Bitcoin and all. Hey, everybody in the chat, good to have you here. We're broadcasting, or I guess it's simulcasting on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Twitch, etc. So uh, I'll try to keep up on where all all of the uh, chats and whatnot are are coming from. Uh, somebody says they feel angry. So sorry that you're feeling angry here. Just tune in tonight, and you know we'll tell you some more truth that'll probably make you feel even more angry. <laughs> but uh, so anyway. Let's see. Why don't we dive into uh, augmented reality? Okay. Okay. So um, if, if your viewers aren't familiar, I, it, it, it helps to talk about both of VR and AR just a little bit at the same time. So because um, virtual reality is probably easier to understand, right? So you put this, you put this head device on these goggles. Some of you, a lot of you probably use them. I've, I've, I've tried them once. And, and basically you're in a, you're in a virtual three-dimensional world. Most of them are for video games and stuff nowadays. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a move to basically make uh, active lessons uh, curriculums through those devices, right? So performance-based learning is, uh, is another buzzword. Education has tons of buzzwords. I should say this, I didn't say this last time. Education has tons of buzzwords that uh, you know when they when they lose their popularity, they just kind of change the name, but it's the same thing later. 
uh, and so performance based. You know, it, it, is, well, yeah, and it's like communism is now progressivism, you know, because communism they don't like that word anymore, so they just rename it, and then it's progressivism, but it's the same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, so politically, uh, yeah, we see the same thing with with political rhetoric as well. We've talked about the, re the rhetorical similarities between communism and fascism, right? And then how if you have a left-wing establishment or a right-wing establishment, right, they might call it one thing or the other, but it's in many ways, it's just a merger of this, the public and private sector. Well, um, and, well, fascism was created by Mussolini after Nazism, which is technically socialism. It was the National Socialist German Workers' Party, so... The big thing that nobody wants to admit is that the Nazis were leftists, not right wingers. That's that's the big, you know, the big secret that uh, nobody wants to admit. National Socialist German Workers Party. That's like the same thing as the Democrats or the Labor Party in the UK. You know, Labor Party Workers Party. Hello, you know. So these are leftist organizations. Well, Mussolini started off as a socialist as well, right? Right. Um. You know, the, what, what people might pick at me and say uh, that I'm that I'm over conflating would say that, OK, the difference, the reason why they would call fascism right wing is that it's it is nationalist as opposed to internationalist in scope. So the communists proper were right. The, the common term, the international communist state, the national socialists were, were nationalist. So a lot of people say fascism has to is it's basically the same as communism, except that it should it's has to be nationalist. And usually there's like a racial, racial, right. And, and then it. you, and, 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 militant then, component and then you well. have, uh, you know, your, your national scapegoat that you use to pin all your problems on. Right. Yes. And then that one group becomes the scapegoat for anything bad that happens. And then that way, rather than the socialists accepting responsibility or the communists re uh, accept, accepting responsibility for anything that they are doing negative, then it gets, tied onto the scapegoat and sent off over there and then everybody chases and murders the scapegoat right and eventually it comes back to eat the, the people that were scapegoating to begin with so if you if you know that hitler you know he was uh, <laughs> in with the Thule society right yeah uh, somebody what has did a, he do somebody okay. has a funny question for you and john okay all right it, uh, hopefully well you know just take it with a grain of salt Says he says uh, hi and thanks for the super chat, Teddy. He says hi. Keep up the great work, Jan. Also asked John if he took his ADD pills today, or is he going to go off track like last time? Last I was going at the beginning of the thing. I was going to say uh, the first thing I was going to say was I draw. Uh, I ate right beforehand. I did like Jan said. I got some fats in me. I had a steak and uh, and I and I had a bunch of nutrients in me. I, I had. I was going to try to nap, but all I could do is think about preparing for this, so I couldn't nap. So. Hopefully it won't happen. But I noticed, I've noticed about the 45 minute point when I do these. Yeah. It's like mental fatigue sets in. And I notice like, I'll have all these thoughts in my head and like the fifth or sixth thought will fall off. And I'm like, whoops. And it, and it slips away. But hopefully I'm prepared this time. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm nutritioned up. That's, um, that's funny. Yeah. But so the Thule society, um, <laughs> see, I'm right back on it this time. The Thule you, society. Are you, was, the Thules, was, are you talking about the Thule society? Yeah, like Thule Bar society. I've, I've Baron von, say Thule, yeah, yeah Thule, Baron von yeah. Sabatendorf, who is the Muslim who created the, or the closet Muslim who created the Nazi party, et cetera, that I covered on the show with uh, Todd a few months back. Yeah. 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 Many, yeah. Many times. Right. And then um, eventually, right. Hitler went after all of the occult groups, right? And towards the end there, he went after them because basically it's what Stalin said. You know, if you got me into power, you can get me out. And so, you know. Uh, oh, right. Well, yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, for sure. So, 
they gotta they gotta kill everybody who helped him. You know, it's like uh it's like Islam will use left the left to gain power and then who are the first ones they're gonna wipe out once they get into power? The left, you know, they got to. So 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 with the so so with the performance based learning, uh, let's, let's before I forget before my ADHD kicks in and I can't get back to it. Uh, the performance based learning is related to the uh, the virtual reality and the augmented reality. In other words, instead of you uh, learning an abstract concept, you know, through studying literature, uh, etc., discussion, uh, instead of learning it in the abstract sense, basically you learn it through doing or through performing. This goes back to John Dewey. He was big into he wouldn't have called it quite that, but you know, learn by doing is would be a Dewey in a pedagogy. Uh, so the idea is that it's, it'll be you'll learn more effectively because you know you'll you'll be able to participate in the activity instead of just have you know like an abstract textbook idea of it. So virtual reality, you put this thing on. It's you got some. I'm gonna some I'm gonna pull up John Dewey here in the database for a second because. You know, okay. are, I, I, I'm going to show this on screen. You won't be able to see it, but I want to show this to the audience. All right. Okay. Should I keep talking? As you, as you yeah, show? You just keep talking while I'm showing this. But I just wanted to mention. Actually, you know what? Let me let me throw it because. Explicate. Let me, Go ahead. Explicate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me do that because. Uh, so here we have John Dewey. He was a member of the Fabian Society, Fabian Socialist, which of course we have Aldous Leonard Huxley, whom of course John covers in his book. David Rockefeller, the Frankfurt School, H.G. Wells, uh, London School of Economics, all these people that those who are familiar with the show over the years know that we've repeatedly exposed these same uh, clowns behind all this. But John Dewey was a part of them. He was also a member of the Century Club, which I've exposed many times in the past. The Century Club uh, had key people in it, like uh, CIA DCI Alan Dulles, and of course, R. Gordon Wasson, who is in charge of the CIA's MKUltra subproject 58. And he popularized magic mushrooms through Maria Sabina. And he created that whole fraud, uh, you know, using her to kick off the psychedelic revolution. And of course, another infamous member of the Century Club was, well, we haven't mentioned him for a few seconds, Aldous Huxley. And uh, other people associated with the Century Club is uh, Carlos Castaneda, the teachings of Don Juan and stuff. And then other uh, well-known CIA frauds that I've exposed for years, uh, Joseph Campbell, and uh, who created the uh, Hero's Journey and all that. He's behind the creation of Star Wars and promoting using Star Wars to promote this whole agenda out to the public. And he was behind the CIA and uh, SRI's Changing Images of Man project. But all of this stuff, uh, you know, we can if we back up here, we can see John Dewey was right in the middle of this stuff. He's also tied under Wilhelm Wundt, uh, University of Leipzig, where Edward Bernays went to school. Uh, that influenced the Tavistock Institute, of course, Edward Bernays was pals with R. Gordon Wasson, whom we just mentioned, and he worked with the CIA, uh, you know, et cetera. So it's a great big circle jerk of the same clowns that we repeatedly see involved in all this stuff. And John Dewey was behind the New School for Social Research, again, tied to the Fabian Society, Bertrand Russell, uh, Margaret Mead, who was... Uh, uh, Gregory Bateson's wife, he was behind the creation of the CIA. You know, these people did lots of fraudulent research and whatnot. So anyway, I just wanted to preface that with some background on 
on what John Dewey was involved in. So back to you, John. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just jump in there too. And, you know, so he's also, you know, a hardcore socialist. He was yep. also a Hegelian. Um, and he was also, uh, it was John B. Watson got his PhD from, from Dewey. Um, John B. Watson was a behaviorist, right? And he went on to work in advertising. Uh, and also, uh, you know, you see reference in Brave New World, which, which we talk about in, in the other uh, interviews as, as well. He's also uh, linked to the Order of Skull and Bones and, uh, through uh, Daniel Coit Gilman, who is perhaps one of the most important people in education that you've never heard of. Or he's certainly someone that I never heard of until way after I got out of school for whatever reason. Of course, there's a lot of things that they didn't give me in school necessarily um, that I learned on my own later. But that was one that me being in education as important as he was, he was, he sat on the Carnegie, I always get them get mixed up. There's the Carnegie Corporation, there's the Carnegie Foundation, there's the Carnegie Institute. It's the one that uh, oversaw uh, science in, in America, right? So invested in uh, science projects and a bunch of eugenic stuff. Um, he was also on the General Education Board that was uh, Rockefeller's, one of Rockefeller's first philanthropies before he actually had his Rockefeller Foundation. Um, and, you know, uh, he also set up uh, Johns Hopkins University. Uh, and then there's two others. I want to say one is Cornell. And then the third one escapes me. Uh, oh, it's Berkeley. It's, it's, it's California, Berkeley. Uh, it's Berkeley is actually how you'd say what they call it, Berkeley. It's after the philosopher Berkeley. But, um, and so, uh, so that's, yeah. So those are his, those are his links to, to the order. Um, but he was all about the performance-based stuff, okay? And so that gets us back to the, um, the, the virtual reality and the augmented reality, okay? So the, the virtual reality, you know, it's, it's, you're basically immersed in a digital world three-dimensionally through these goggles. Augmented reality is kind of a blend of both. So if you've ever, you might've seen some of these devices, uh, you can use them on a tablet, you can use them on a phone, you can put them, if anybody has a Google Glass or one of those types of transparencies, it's either through a camera lens on a computer or through a transparency on a computer. And basically what it's doing is it's overlaying the 3D digital graphics onto the real world. So it's basically virtual environment overlaid onto the real environment. That Pokemon Go game is a good one. It was, people talked a lot about back, back when it was popular. So maybe you have kids, they played with it. You got this phone, you had to hunt for the little Pokemon monster. And somehow you use this GPS device locator and then it shows you where it's at. And when you show up in this location and you hold your screen up, if you look through the screen, you can see the little monster, Pikachu or whatever the things are called. And um, you know you can inter you can interact with. It. So so this is this is augmented reality and then virtual reality. You're fully immersed, okay. Um, and so they're trying to basically do performance-based lessons through these. Now this is nothing that like is in any schools right now that I'm aware of. But it is certainly if you read the scholarly journals that I've dug through, um, it is. Am I talking too loud? No I no no no. I, you know just unfortunately like you said they, they they've already got published papers but just don't give them any bad ideas you know it's like oh okay okay i guess i my dad said i was i was too loud <laughs> he said don't talk so loud this time i was like uh oh You're, well, okay. I, I can i can uh adjust your microphone volume a little bit on this okay uh, i mean if if i if i am um yeah it's so you know i mean it's not something you're gonna walk into a classroom and see but it's it's they're ready to go with it for for the most part and you know Kurzweil talked about it back in the 90s Ray Kurzweil I cite 
three of his books in mind, yeah. The Age of Intelligent Machines, which is 91, The Age of Spiritual Machines, which is 98, and then The Singularity is Near, which is 2000s, or I'm not sure when, it might be 2000. Yeah, and he's part of uh, the transhumanism mind op, Unitarianism. Uh, uh, he had big influence over Jason Silva, but of course Google is another CIA-founded uh, organization through Incutel, Incutel. CIA owns Incutel, Incutel owns Google, Google owns uh, YouTube, etc. Where, and uh, of course Ray Kurzweil is there. But who created the term uh, transhumanism? Do you know that one, John? And that was Julian Huxley in New Bottles for New Wine. Julian Huxley, called- right there in the database, folks. You never go far from a Huxley family member with any of this degenerate crap. So I don't think we ever get more than. Uh, you know, uh, four or five steps in researching any of these topics before we hit a Huxley family member. Whenever you see the name Huxley show up, you know that you're holding a hot, stinky turd, whether it's Darwinism, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's transhumanism or, or whatever the case may be. You know it's a hot, stinky, steaming pile. You know, yeah, I, 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 that was there was a no, I wanted to mention him when I mentioned Daniel Coit Gilman because they were buddies and yeah. uh, he brought him over to give the inaugural address at Johns Hopkins University. He talked about his Malthusian, Darwinian, eugenic stuff. And um, when in his memoirs, which I have over here, um, he makes these strange allusions. This is Huxley, I'm, I'm saying uh, these letters to his wife about how they made such a big deal out of him when he went to Yale and how he was he sat in the family of a uh, the was a family member of one of the Peabody's and the Peabody's are all tied into all these foundations, you know, Rockefellers, et cetera. One of the big education philanthropies with the, with the general education board. Back then. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's, those are interesting. So, the the so. audience is laughing and you know, I don't know if it, you've probably heard us talk about it before, but the Huxley's come up so much over the years in research. There's like the audience has a drinking game whenever the Huxley family is mentioned. <laughs> yeah, know. you told me that last yeah. time. Yeah, I remember. So, you know, and you said they were written hammered last time. Yeah, we were well, <laughs> yeah, well, it's not the first time, but they'll get pretty hammered in the in the audience there when we say Huxley so much. Now, Rainey, uh, thank you for the uh, super chats in there. Greatly appreciate it. She's asking, is Blue Beam Project augmented reality? Do you know anything about that? I'm not familiar with Blue Let me Beam, see if I have Blue Beam in the database. Let's... That sounds like, I, I, it might sound like a bumpkin here. When I hear Project Blue Beam, is that, is it that UFO stuff like Project Maybe. Blue Beam? Maybe. I don't have it in the uh, database. I don't know. It could be fake news, but that, you know, just because it's not in the database doesn't mean it is. So I'd have to research Oh, okay. Out. Wait, if I remember this, if I remember this, uh, the Project Blue Beam, I think was the fake, it was this document i don't know if it was legit or not but the story i remember about it was that it was a military plan to project a fake alien landing oh so so rational wikipedia says project blue beam is a conspiracy theory that claims that nasa is attempting to implement a new age religion with the antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulated second coming actually that's you know, from my research and whatnot, that's not that far-fetched. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't really looked into Project Bluebeam specifically, but we've certainly seen all of this stuff promoted, and they certainly promote the Antichrist. 
um, you know, as as uh, the foundation of all of this stuff. Even you know Huxley, Leary, all of these guys admit this stuff. Sorry, you guys, I, I know you're getting wasted out there. But that might be AR. I guess when I think of AR, I think of a, where the where the image is somehow being projected through the device that you're handling. But I suppose it is largely the same idea. It's it's largely a digital image. I mean, it's projected like onto the sky digitally with lasers or something, you know, as far as I understood it. So, I mean, um, but it's certainly not a, you know, that, that type of technology. It's not what we're talking about when, when you know, we're talking about tablets or a headgear or, or something, something like that. Somebody keeps um, beeping my phone, so I'm muting it. Whoever you are, stop. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm on the air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m., so it's like, okay, who's up to the who's up to nonsense? Oh, I didn't hear it buzz, so I, I don't okay, think it distracted anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kurz, Kurzweil, like one, this is in one of his earlier books. He mentions the VR. He uses this example of instead of studying the Constitution and the you know the Federalist Papers and the writings of the founding fathers, et cetera, uh, you would just go into this VR simulation. You'd sit down with Thomas Jefferson or George Washington, and you could have a conversation with him, and he would tell you exactly you know what he thinks, the way he would say it. And you know it sounds maybe cool or interesting, but I have a lot of problems with that because I don't understand how they could possibly, you know, Kurzweil thinks he can bring his dad back. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, he thinks that he can scan all of his dad's writings and, you know, this is before they had digital stuff. So, right. uh, well, it, I, yeah, know, but it's going to be based on writings and letters, not the culmination of their life experience and everything. So it's going to be this digital kind of sketchy. Yes. Uh, yes. That's thing. the short. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I could almost see there's some Black Mirror episodes where they, uh, there was a guy that, that, that dies and they scan uh, somehow through his, all his social media posts and all the, you know, all the ubiquitous filming that is our life now. They basically could simulate his personality by, you know, inductively aggregating all that data into some kind of algorithm. Now that may, maybe, maybe, I don't know that that's you and you're actually bringing your dad back. But uh, I, I don't what think was that, do that. What was that papers. movie or some? So. There was a movie or something I saw a few years ago. What the hell was that? Where you could, where it like simulated that you know somebody who had died. It oh, and you you know it would you could it, they would call you, would talk to you or whatever, and it would simulate that that person was still alive based on all of their messages and everything that they had done online over the, their lifetime. What what the heck movie was that? I don't know. Somebody will pull it up, but uh, you know, if the person died, you know, you could you could go around and talk to the person on your phone, and it was the a the AI system like feeding you. You know, it would take all the emails and texts and messages and phone conversations and everything that the person had ever done online, and it would create that person so that you, you know, felt that they didn't actually die. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, there's, there's probably a few. There's a, there's a show called Feed now, which is, is kind of, it's not like that, but it's all about augmented realities. People have these, these chips where they have AR basically implanted through their heads. R Rupert, so I guess I could jump there. Rupert says atheists are lost and confused. Well said. <laughs> so, uh, so with the so with the brain chips, then uh, basically, and the idea is instead of carrying around the um, the devices and having to do this all day or having this big clunky piece of headgear on, 
um, basically the brain chip would somehow transmit it through your retina. Okay? Right, right, right. And, and it would, this is, this is what our right, internet right into the CIA's Google machine. And then you could be like, you know, tapped right in there and they could, you know, talk about, you know, Huxley's final revolution, you know, they just total control over anything that you think. Sure. And the, and these are the same, you know, Facebook is making one, Google's making, these, these are all the companies that, you know, the main thing they operate on is it's not money, it's data. I mean, data is, you know, is the, the new oil of, of the, the current age. And um, yeah, so, so, so uh, with the brain chips, basically, it's going to link straight into, to the internet of things. And this is largely what the internet of things is, is for. Okay. So this, all this 5g stuff, you know, this is so they can have all this shortwave high speed communication because right. If you, you don't think you want your brain chip buffering, right. You're going to be sitting there and I, I imagine your biology is also going to be kind of buffering, you know, herky jerky or whatever. So they yeah, need this right. super fast stuff. It's, it's not so you can get media faster. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, and so basically you can kind of think of it like this. This is the cool side of it. This would be like, you know, uh, if, if maybe there was, was no uh, dystopia, dystopic elements involved. So imagine you're pulling up to the city and as you pull up in the city, your brain ship basically Well, it's going to be a fake city because it's all just going to be in your mind, right? Well, that's, you know, I, I don't want to go on a, a segue too far here and go on, go on my ADHD here, but uh, <laughs> Kurzweil too, says that you will- I think you're too will, late, brother. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Kurzweil says that you'll spend most of your time in VR. Most of your time in VR. And, you know, so that means- And, I mean, and whoever level, appealed to his authority to tell us to create all this crap to uh, lead us down this nasty rabbit hole, you know? I mean, my first question is, wait, wait, if we got so- The scenario he uses is, hey, you're on one side of the planet, your wife's on the other side, and you can't, you know, you instead of just calling each other, you can actually participate in some 3, 3D environment. You can, you can experience this person as if they're with you. But then my question is, well, if everything is so advanced, why are me and my wife <laughs> hundreds of miles away from each other? Like if everything was so utopic, I feel like I could be with her all the time. Right? So, D you know. Dystopic anyway, you know, see, here's yeah. the thing is all these uh, atheists and Satanists and whatnot can't stand, you know, they, they create these dystopias because they cannot stand logos, you know, they cannot stand truth and reality. You know, they want to have everything. They want to be the gods of their own dystopian nightmare, and they want to take us all down with them. And you and I were talking uh, before the show about this, the, the communist agenda, the Brave New World agenda, Huxley again, and, you know, the, the Fabian Socialist along with them, is to get rid of all morality, create moral relativism, create a state where there is no good and bad and then through this through the allowance of pedophilia murder rape you know uh no longer having men and women's separate bathrooms everything coming to a state of degeneracy through this these idiots believe that a utopia will emerge actually it's a dystopia but a utopia will emerge and then we'll have this new reign of of freedom and whatnot <clears throat> through total degradation and degeneracy through the entire fall and collapse of society. So it's, it would basically, you know, for anybody who lives in Logos and Truth, 
it would be a total hell nightmare, literally run by Satan, you know? Well, there certainly is. I mean, when I just mentioned VR, I, I, I've looked at it before. I've messed with it. It made me really dizzy. It was, it was pretty cool. I, I, you know, it made me dizzy enough where I didn't want to mess with it again. I, you know, I used to play a lot of is games. Is that what happened to you? Oh, with the ADHD? Yeah, it was too many <laughs> video games, bro, probably. I, but I did. I used to play. I was one of these people. I'd spend a whole weekend in there. So I, I you know, I'm not going to say I don't get it at all. But I, you know, as they say, I, 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 I grew out of it. You know, I just grew out of it. And, um. But but when I mention it to a lot of people, or you just kind of broach the topic, they're they're like, wow, it's. I mean, to be saturated with those graphics is such a, such an enticing experience. By the way, we should mention that Aldous Huxley talked about virtual reality in his book. He called it the feelies instead of the movies, right? So a movie is a moving picture. Well, for Huxley, you sat in these devices. It's 1931, by the way. You put your hands on these things and instead of seeing the picture moving, you felt it. And what were they watching? I never, you know, I read it several times till I realized what it was. It was a porn. And they're talking about how you could feel the bearskin rug on you because you were in the position of one of the, the, the well, the lovers, I guess you'd say. Right. And, and so, yeah, this is 1931. You know, they had set this thing called Sensorama and I believe the fifties or the sixties. It looks so, you can Google it. It looks super silly. It's like a big box type thing. Um, it, it looks like one of those old arcade machines that we used to do in the eighties. It's got the big uh, console with the joysticks, but you put your face in it and you sit on it and it's got these gloves. And so it tries to uh, interface with all the different, you know, the five senses. Uh, and that was the fifties or sixties. Okay. And then, so again, with all this stuff, I mean, this is, you know, if I say the VR, if you haven't seen it, you know, it's not in the classes yet. It's like, well, that sounds like, you know, some wild stuff, but it's, so it's been long in the making and it's right. And it's here and right around the, the corner. Um, but, and Ray yeah, Kurzweil yeah. is here to, you know, see first what they do is they make life miserable through all this social degradation and, and uh, stupefaction and dumbing down of education, all this other stuff. And then they say, well, you know, since life is so terrible, since we won't leave you alone with your family to have your own life, you know, why don't you upload yourself into our freaking computer? You know, hey, we're going to we're here to save you. First, we create the problem. Now we're going to offer you the solution. You know, thanks, Ray Kurzweil and joe rogan and all these people who promote this crap you know <laughs> well and then so yeah with the so you know where i was kind of going is that they a lot of people like you said they virtual reality is way cooler than reality on don't you know that like it's, it's oh yeah because you, you know you can just make it what you will you know because when you know what the word you know, if you know the words that the world is made of, you can make of the world what you wish. To quote, to quote some Terrence McKenna horse crap. Yes, you know? I was like, I remember that. To a dingery do, you got a boom, wow, wow, wow. You know. I'll admit that, like the first time I used it with the, uh, you know, was, I was in the spaceship, and then you're up over this planet. I mean, it gave me. It's exhilarating. It was pretty exhilarating. Like, so you know, in some ways, I guess you know the, the initial experience that. Oh, it's, it's a little more surprising than uh than the than the, than the real world but uh you know then there's other games that were on there where it was like you're just cooking you're like cooking so it, it was it's cooler you know it was somehow moving around these three-dimensional uh hamburgers on this on this three-dimensional grill that was all you know cartoon and digital was somehow supposed to be fun 
I mean, maybe some people like cooking, but to me, that's it's a chore and, and labor. So it's like, you know, in real life, it's it's labor and a chore. But in the in the virtual world, it's it's fun and it's a game. And, right. and you know, that's that's on a larger trend what they call gamified learning it fits into this vr ar right yeah you don't have to actually go out and learn the the real facts of culinary arts and the science behind all the merging of the different chemicals that are in the foods and whatnot that create these flavors you just do it in a in a virtual uh in a virtual world amy says those are fun i don't know if she's talking about what we're talking about i'm guessing but you know it'd be like you know, front site virtual world, you know, it's like, sure, there's all these shoot 'em up games and blah, 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 and whatnot, but it's not the same as getting on the ground and going through a, you know, an intensive firearms course and learning all that stuff hands on. It's, you know, you're not going to come out of a, you know, VR thing having the same skill sets and whatnot. Well, they, I think they feel that uh, they can make more people learn if they just make it funner. If they just made it like it was the funnest thing in the world and you never wanted to stop doing it, then everybody could learn, right? And in, in, in essence, they want to remove the hard work and, the, and you know, I'll use the word suffering that comes into achieving anything at, at, of a meaningful nature at a high level. And it doesn't matter if that's exercise physically or, you know, learning something abstractly, intellectually. You know, I loved writing this book. I, it's, it's researching things I'm interested in, but especially when I have a deadline too, guess what? I mean, there was times I didn't want to write it. I was right. tired. I want to go to bed, but I, but I did it. And that's part of being a human. That's part of reality. That's part of truth. Right. But, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, so when the exhilaration ends, when the, when the fun of the game ends, because, you know, when I used to play those games, there came a point when it was just like, it was just more graphics and it was just this kind of a re rehashing of the same thing. Yeah, Amy you're says... you're not actually achieving anything. Amy so says uh, in the chat, she loves cooking, but the VR kind of makes her feel sick, you know. Yeah, but yeah, she was talking about that. Mr. Winter says, thanks, good stuff, John. And he's got to run around and do some stuff, but he'll try to listen. So thanks for the super chat there, Mr. Winters. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for everybody uh, participating in the chat there, too. Oh, thanks to everybody that bought books, too, because I did notice that I can't see the specific numbers, but the metrics, I can. I noticed that many people bought books both times. So thank you, whoever that was. Yeah, let's, you know, where did people buy your book again, John? So we can do that at uh, Trying Day. I had it up here, and I don't know what happened. Trying, trying Day, or you can go to that other big place. There it goes, Amazon. Um it's on Barnes and Noble's distributor and Target distributor. I mean, but uh, you know, trying days more for us. But I know some people got their their uh, right away accounts on Amazon. And all that right. Stuff. And their discounts and all that. And I'll just call up Chris Milligan and harass him over there. <laughs> harass him just just a little bit there. Just a little. Well, he's bit. already he's under. They're, they're doing mercantile games with him right now, so don't harass him too much. <laughs> oh yeah. What are the mercantile yeah, is, games? Yeah, because messing with distributors and stuff oh, like okay. that is kind of weird wonky stuff that is you know eh, you, you know you you're probably familiar with that in your your world of media and, and yeah. writing and well stuff. there's always games you know be, being uh, throttled being demonetized being uh, you know there's always something going on with uh, yeah i noticed there was for some reason that the price went way down on the book for a long time and you know he 
No, no, I don't know what they got their own algorithms. I don't know how they run it. And I don't know what it's based on. Yeah, that you know, and then Amazon will undersell all the other people, including the publisher on the books and stuff. Yeah, I've seen that stuff too. Yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. Stuff, right. stuff like that. Yeah. Is what, is what it seems so, to be. um, precision. Uh, wait. Well, we talked about augmented reality, virtual reality. What about precision education and tying well, curriculum to genetics? So that is basically, uh, it's actually piggybacking on a term that's used for what's called precision medicine. Uh, and so precision medicine is basically, it's gene-specific medicine. Okay. Uh, and so they're basically just tying their... Transferring that concept to uh, academics and basically a guy by the name of Robert Plomin, P L O M I N, maybe it's Plomin, I, I imagine it's Plomin, I've only read it, never heard it pronounced. Um, he is one of the larger proponents of it. And uh, essentially, uh, he feels that your, we've talked about on the previous shows that your curriculum. You can be tracked either into an academic pathway or a career pathway for workforce training. Uh, and that could be based on your responses to the software and how quick you, you answer the questions and how well you answer. But Plowman's saying that before we even start start there, we should actually check out your, uh, your, your brain IQ, right? And so your, your, the, your genetic IQ. Um, and, you know, the, the thing with that is it's, you know, it's sketchy because there are many, many genes that they are looking at that they say, contribute to your IQ, right? And I wanna, I wanna say it's close to 50. It might be, it's 50 or 500. It's, it's once there's a five in there. I don't have my numbers in front of me. Um, but so there's that part, but then there's also the other, there's the other part with something they call the, the Flynn effect, right? Which makes, you know, whether or not, we both, clearly there are people who are on the, the, the what we today call the spectrum, right? And so, you know, different, autism spectrums um and so you know we clearly we you know physiologically that there are cognitive differences in in people i'm not going to say that that's you know that doesn't exist um but if you look at uh, largely what, what we would call bell curve statistics is what we're talking about when we talk about iq and genes okay and that's you know the famous book by uh, charles murray and the, the other man uh, who's no longer with us um, so, you know, on a bell curve, the idea is, right, it's kind of generalized that there's most people fit into this, this is the idea of the bell, the statistically, most people fit in this, this fat part, right, but then there's always outliers for any race, right, or, or yeah, they'll do this with uh, 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 female versus male sex, gender, etc. Right. Um, so, um, but I think that in some ways, First of all, there are there's lots of questions about how accurate the tests are, whether they're actually measuring genes or environment, uh, and also I think that you know you know I believe you might believe as well that um, you know logos that, that 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 the understanding of truth I think can you know maybe maybe physiologically rewire your brain in ways. I mean, like when you come to logos through through language and through truth, through the trivium, uh, through understanding, you know, 
contradictions and, and things like that or, or weeding those out that understanding that a new habits of thinking right that understanding no that grounded a, in whatever that that genetic base was yeah before. i i actually had somebody tell me today that they thought that you know that it was just about differing viewpoints you know they don't grasp that a contradiction is always a lie or an error and that there are no contradictions in nature there cannot be and so once sure, yeah. it, once you well, grasp that, that's the foundation of beginning to really learn logic and critical thinking. Because once you can accept that reality is real and cannot lie to you, then you have something to build from. So what what the left does, what these programs do, is to say, you know, quantum physics, etc., is to say that well, reality isn't real. We live in a quantum world. It's primacy of consciousness. The world is a reflection of you. Uh, you you are not of reality. Reality is of you. So they flip everything backward and inside out and upside down. And in quantum physics, oh, well, there isn't one reality. There's 12 realities. And you could be living in these simultaneous realities all at once, you know. So therefore, you can't know anything. You know, it's just, you know, ev everything is... Uh, uh, relative right you know it's einsteinian it's it, you know and it talk about the relativist fallacy which is the relativist fallacy is what's true for me isn't true for you you know and you know we have like a different reality we might have differing points of view but we're viewing the same reality and so this is really hard for people to grasp when they start you know, because, well, there's so much befuddlement out there today to try to occlude and occult the, that reality is real. That's why they don't want people to understand the Bible and the New Testament, etc., because it teaches you that reality is first and foremost real and that all of this other stuff is based on lies. So then what they do, and I'll let you hand it back to you, what they'll do from there is they'll say, well, you know, all of this stuff that our ancestors taught, that's all nonsense. All your ancestors all throughout time, they were, you know, even though they were successful and got you here and created you, they were a bunch of dumb freaking morons, right? And so you have nothing to learn from your ancestors and all these high societies that they created through Christianity. That's all dumb nonsense. You can't know reality. Therefore, listen to us, you know, and Oxford said, uh, last year, they put out this thing that now we're in the post-truth era, right? So they come out with the, you know, the modernist era, blah blah blah, all these different eras that they come up with. Now we're in the post-truth era, so that's basically saying that truth doesn't exist. Now we're in the era of Satan. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then another thing with with uh, why I think that. You know that, that there's that it is not that your your intellect or your cognitive ability is not genetically determined. I'm not saying that, there, that there's no genetic basis to it because obviously you, you have to have a brain to think, right? You know, um, but another part of logos and understanding truth is understanding that um, that truth is most often outside of your passions and what you feel. <laughs> or at least it, sometimes it is, right? Now, that sounds hilarious, right? But it's it's a profound thing for some people who are actually in this state where, see, the people that say that, you know, but, everything but, but is relative. But John, John, my feels, my feels, brother, my feels. 
Well, you know, the you're, thing you're is, hurting right? my feels, dude. You know, I'm offended. The, the the idea is to say that both sides are okay is in order to to be able to justify your feelings, right? So you, that you don't have to say, oh wait, you mean that this is wrong and I should actually act or and or think differently. It's a profound moment, myself included, because right, I I was uh, this is a wild man. I I still am in some ways, but I was certainly a, a very wild man once upon a time. And you know when you realize that you don't have to be a wild, like that you you don't have to be you don't have to be whatever feelings you have that you can actually think higher than them See, and outside them. Yeah, well, you know, ride when, them like the horse. When my son was about six or seven, got him this little science project, you know, and it was like you put this these little balls or you know, I don't know, it was like a chemistry thing, and you had these little hardened balls, you know, they're like little tiny things, and you put them in water, and it created this slimy jelly mess you know so we put this in the big jar and he got to create this big thing of slime he got to play with right and so you know for a number of years after that whenever we sat down to think about something it's like okay so these are your emotions and these are the facts so what we have to do is we put our emotions in the slime jar and then we look at the facts and then once we're done looking at the facts, we can open the jar and let the emotions back out again. But when you're thinking, the emotions need to go into the slime jar. And, the, you know, the liberals, the leftists today, they think that their emotions are the same and equivalent to the facts. They have no capacity to differentiate between facts and truth and their, their emotions, right? So... They think if they put on, you know, when we were kids, if you wanted to be someone else, you put on underoos and you ran around the backyard and you thought you were Superman or Spider-Man or whatever. But today, you know, people put on uh, whatever outfit and then they think they're actually that thing. And then they want to pass laws to force everybody else to be a part of the delusion. Right. You no longer it's no longer you in the delusion. It's, you know, well, I'm actually Superman. You know, I'm actually, you know, it's like the latest thing was that I saw, I think yesterday was this 40 some year old uh, pedophile is now going around saying he's an eight year old girl and anything against him is hate speech. I, so, so when you go, when you get to the place where you can, where you realize that, where you realize that you don't have to be your feelings, that you can actually go to that. I mean, that's that not only is that a different cognitive state or a different cognitive ability. I mean, that's like this is what we call being born again. This is that you're a new person. Like and in my own experience, I know that, you know, uh, I did horrible in high school because I was I was the wild man. And when I finally realized <laughs> there was a different way to approach things with my with my mind and things. Uh, and by the way, still working on it. Right. It's all, all the time. <laughs> and you're cringing when you, grace I, I time, notice right? you cringing when you say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, I, you know, I, uh, you know, like Paul says, you know, the, the flesh, you know, it's, it sticks around, you know? Um, and so Paul, but, but we, Paul, who is the, the chief of, of uh, what does he say? When it comes to sinners, I am chief. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, he's the biggest thought of all. You know, right. when I, I think about the flesh now differently in that verse now. You know, I used to always think of it largely as, as sexual sin. Most people usually do. Uh, but now that I've thought a lot about the socio-emotional learning technologies and how basically they, they equate emotion with nervous, nervous system algorithms, 
that's the flesh. <laughs> that's the flesh. And that's, that's that thing when you feel it, right? When you're upset, you're, you're frustrated, right? Or you're depressed and you're in those feelings. It's, it's it very much as a physiological feeling. Um, but when you realize that you don't have to actually be that, that there's ways to, to come above it, uh, that's, that's a new way of thinking. And so, you know, I, that's, those are my philosophical reasons for having a problem with the precision uh, education. But the other part is then on top of that is that there is also the possibility of an environmental effect. Okay. This is a thing called the Flynn effect. Uh, so, uh, James, James Flynn, I believe is his first name, uh, does a lot of IQ statistics. Charles Murray, they, they basically look at the same statistics, um, but they basically come to different conclusions. And, and Charles largely says that it's, it's basically your genes, although he admits you know, some environment plays a factor. And, and, and Mr. Flynn basically says the opposite. It's basically mainly environment. The reason he says that is because, um, well, the reason why they have two interpretations is this. The Flynn effect is, is such as this. Uh, every once in a while, every several years, they have to recalibrate IQ tests, which is another, which by the way, is another reason why you know, I'm, I'm not super comfortable with uh, any, any of that philosophy of it being determined, okay? Um, so, so when they recalibrate these though, because what happens is everybody starts to do better at these tests. So they have to make them, they, I guess they, they up the, the difficulty somehow. And what happens is the spread tends to be the same uh, ethnically. Okay, and so, um, you know, the numbers that they calculate is that uh, what they call white people, which is, a, which is a really vague term, is at the, the median at 100. And then people of color would be progressively lower, 90, 80, 70. Okay, and then up in the above 100 would, would be um, East Asians and, and Ashkenazi Jews. Um, and so, uh, when they, when they switch that spread, they see that and they go, oh, Charles looks at it and he goes, look, the difference between race is the same, must be race. But Flynn goes, but look, everybody went up. So that means your IQ can go up. So must be environment, okay? I think that, you know, in a, in a civil society, in a democratic republic where we, we don't believe in a caste system, that, that if, if we go with precision education, like this is a genetic caste system, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, I you know, I am not a statistician, you know, I am not a biologist, so I know people might say, you know, uh, poo-poo on my, my philosophies, and, but I am an educator and, you know, and I'm sort of a philosopher, so those are, those are the, the, those are the reasons why I, I have a, a big problem with what they call precision education. Right. Well, uh, Rupert in the chat says, and the millennials will have a hard time with this reference, but we'll try to explain it. Disconnecting emotion from logic is like using the clutch in a car. And for those of you who don't know what a clutch was, which is most of you back in the days when most cars were stick shift, the, the clutch was what discon uh, disconnected the transmission and the wheels from the engine and then allowed you to shift into the next gear. So, yeah, it would be like, you know, you disconnect the, the engine uh, f from the... Uh, wheels so that you could shift or whatever but um it's a good reference because there's got to be a disconnect when you are using logic and you know it's i see so many videos mark dice is one of the best for putting these videos out what's her name uh what's her name bennett or whatever uh 
Kaylee Bennett. I, I forget this this blonde girl who won the lawsuit over over uh, firearms. I forget what's her name now. Jeez, now I'm forgetting it. Um, familiar. I, I'll see if I can find it very quickly here. I may not be able to, but I posted some of her stuff last week. She had won some lawsuits. Uh, it's not coming up fast enough here. Just a second. Oh, here we go. Uh, well, I've, I can't remember her name. I'll show her on screen. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll be good enough here. Hold on a second. It's just a freaking commercial. All right. This, this girl right here, you know, she is, uh, now I've just lost my freaking point, but <laughs> where was I going with that? I'm not familiar with the story, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how that, well, you know, she's just out there trying. She's constantly doing videos uh, exposing. I know where I was going with this. Exposing uh, liberals and how they're so tied to their emotions. And uh, you know, she went to uh, what was it, Ruger, uh, Rutgers University, and the leftists called the police on her for interviewing people on the campus because she's a conservative and you know they were you know there's one woman in the background just repeating this is the spot of john communist what's his name and you know there's like this woman is just repeating over and over and over for 15 minutes the same line about her communist hero and how this little brick area that she was uh, speaking and was dedicated to this this communist guy. And this woman is just going on and on for 15 minutes repeating the same thoughtless mind programming that she had been told being against freedom of speech, being against conservatism, being against anything that wasn't a part of this, uh, you know, her emotional outlook on life. And there's just... You know, they have no ability to disconnect their emotions, you know, and they were also saying that she couldn't be there because it was a black area only and all this, you know, racist stuff. But uh, it was really interesting to watch this whole thing going down because these are, air quotes, university-educated people who don't know how to think, who don't know how to disconnect their emotions from the facts. They've been told by their liberal communist university professors what to think, but they've never learned how to think, you know, so they confuse, you know, they need their safe spaces and whatnot, but they confuse the, the emotions with the facts. They don't have an ability for logic and reason. It's like uh, that uh, Clint Eastwood quote, if you could reason with Democrats, there would be no Democrats, you know. Never heard that one. Um, <laughs> I, I should say that so the, and so there and there is an emotional basis to learning in the sense that right. I mean, you do have emotions, right? And so a lot of times, you know, John Taylor Gatto talks about this. You know, some of the institutional uh, structures of school, in many ways, are designed to, to humiliate, to to make you feel dumb, to make you to basically put you in your cast. Right? I mean, if you're not quick enough and you don't you don't fill in the dotted lines the right way, in a lot of ways, it is designed to make you stay in your passions and usually in a, in, in a cynical state, right? Uh, and so 
you know, I have a lot of students all the time when they come to the, to the tutor, uh, you can tell they're, they're totally overthinking it. They're overthinking it because they're freaked out because they've been told that they're, they're not smart or that they're not good at writing, et cetera. And when you finally kind of just, you know, talk with them, just kind of real, real casual, they slowly, they, by the end of they go, oh, so I was just overthinking it. So sometimes that there, but that's also an, an emotion thing. It's also because of passions. And so again, I, you know, your, your emotional trauma, trauma-based mind control, <laughs> uh, can, can severely impair your cognitive abilities. And if you look at some of the, you know, if you want to look at that belt, those bell curve statistics, some of the people or some of the ethnic populations that are on the lower end of the uh, IQ spectrum, well, you know, statistically, those people have suffered a lot of trauma historically. And so, you know, it could very well be that as well, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, so with the socio-emotional learning, you know, I'm, I don't, and by the way, you know, there were, there were some of the Greeks thought that you could be, you could just be a mind without, without feeling. Right. And, you know, in some ways, you know, this is, you know, this is, I don't want to call it Gnostic, but this is, this is like a form of mysticism where, 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 where knowledge is, it's, is a form of you becoming a God on earth or some sort of, it's about power over the dominion of, of the plane by understanding uh, how to manipulate your environment through, through knowledge and wisdom, et cetera. Uh, so, I mean, you do have to have, you know, I mean, you know, as Christians, especially, right, we should have grace, right, you know, and that doesn't mean that you, that everything, that you have to, that you have to, um, I don't want to use the word tolerate, but that you have to condone everything, but it do, does mean that you acknowledge that everybody's starting from a fallen state, and so, you know, you give them time to acknowledge where they, to acknowledge in their own lives, right, that what we call repentance, where have they contradicted truth? And so, you know, uh, the so there's an emotional element to learning, but it is it is the way to uh, integrate it into the academic system is not to track it with biofeedback technologies and then pathologize various neural algorithms. It's to give the student his or her own responsibility to manage those passions so that he or she can actually make his or her own decisions, right? How to think as opposed to, to what to think, right? And so that's yeah. Do we already cover uh, socio-emotional race hygiene? So that ties, that's a good place to jump next because it ties into the precision education, okay? And so, um, you know, there's lots of statistics that would show that um, you know, students of color are uh, disciplined at a higher rate than the non-students of color, white students, I guess is the term you would use. Okay, and so oh, there's a large push in social-emotional learning uh, in those circles to basically use these technologies to measure all of the, uh, the, the cell data, that's the acronym. So all of the emotional uh, nervous neural algorithms of the, the students and the staff and to find discrepancies so that they could somehow uh, basically uh, weed out this, what they would call the systemic racism in the system. Um, but you know, what my research shows is that, you know, Long term, what will ultimately happen is those technologies will only increase the pathologizing of normal student behaviors or just, you know, student misbehavior, but pathologizing it as, you know, a mental health issue or a or criminal tendency, not only for students of color, but but everybody. And, and so, you know, it's inevitable that when you when you start tracking this data, your emotions uh, in this punitive way that it, that 
I mean, the goal is to basically, you're going to have more of it than less. And so I don't think that that's actually, you know, race hygiene was a term that was, was a, basically a term Hitler used for eugenics. Okay. Uh, mental hygiene was another term that was used, uh, was another type of eugenics. So uh, and that had to do with the IQ. So the race hygiene had to do with everything else genetically that you would pass down um, through inheritance. Uh, but the, the mental hygiene could have a racial component to it, or it could just be focused on, you know, did your family have a long history of not just did they have low IQs, but did they have a history of um, you know, were they, were they paupers? Were they sexually promiscuous? With these types of behaviors, they would link to, you know, your mental state, which they felt was, was genetically determined. Um, and so, you know, the, that term race hygiene, you know, is, is basically, um, you know, in, in the school system, that would largely be, you know, to cleanse, you know, what are those, the, the racial disparities in there, but it'll end up being something more like, you know, the way Hitler tracked that type of thing is, is the way I calculated it. It's like Antifa being the most fascist group out there. Yeah, yeah, you know, bike locks and all that type of stuff. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's see, micro, oh wait, community-oriented policing. Oh yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's that's like a, uh, what I call yeah. that's what I call uh, oh, what do I call it now? When I want to think of it, I can't think of it. Um, uh, policing by consensus, or you know, uh, it's is that where you're going with this? Is it along those lines? You, it it's r rule by consensus. Well, it it kind of it you know it's it sounds like it has that communitarian kind of left flavor. But it really is, is just a, is a, is a term for public-private partnerships, which, you know, I, I would say is corporatist, which we, you could say is corporate fascist as well. But the idea here is that instead of police departments handling police business, there's through all these public-private partnerships uh, in, the, in the community schooling system and the charter schooling system, there are, there are two addendums. And one is to basically attach mental health and health and human services to the education system, which we've talked a lot about today and the other time. But then the other is to attach uh, the criminal justice system to it, okay? And so, you know, instead of you having, may, maybe sometimes you have a, what they call a resource officer or somebody, you know, security there that you need. Um, you know, it's basically like uh, an in-house police officer that has, it's almost like a, this, this police department is kind of in limbo or it, or it partners outside with other uh, private agencies. Uh, and through that, they're, you know, they're not just tracking, you know, typical criminal behavior, but they also look at, you know, you know, how is your behavior in the classroom? You know, how does that maybe uh, put you on a, on a, a tendency algorithm, algorithmically towards you know, maybe, maybe some criminal tendency, maybe you need behavioral inter interventions, maybe you need some mental health interventions because, you know, you misbehave too much. Um, and obviously, right, that ties into just the, that last topic that we talked about right, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Microaggression. Which one, me or you? <laughs> <laughs> we got that as a talking point here. Community-oriented policing is uh, yeah. well. Is, my, is, uh, microaggression. We had uh, talked about that, you know, before the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You want to go? Yeah, on I that? suppose that. I mean, I, so the term is, you know, uh, 
used to to uh, refer to like if you say something, you use a word in a totally uh, you know uh, mundane context that you have no intention of meaning something, and then it you know because of you know your identity politics that are represented by your gender or race or whatever that word was therefore a microaggression to somebody else, and right they you know you you have offended them and, uh, you know, violated community standards or something like that. Um, I get we, what we talked about was, you know, is this like you know, the high tech version of the microaggression, meaning like, you know, not just the words you use are microaggressions, but like if your heart rate is too fast or right, your, your galvanic skin response, your skin conductivity, electricity is too high on it or, uh, you know, some blood pressure is too high, your facial expressions, they don't, the facial recognition algorithm doesn't like your face, you're frowny too much, right? That's a microaggression, all that type of stuff. Yeah. All right, let's see. Let's go into uh, solutions for all of this stuff. You know, we lay out all these problems with education and all the hyperbole going on and whatnot and all the eugenics and the dystopian Huxleyan steaming piles of you know what what are the solutions okay so I got a I have a five point plan okay uh and thanks to my publisher Chris Milligan for making me do that because I'm a I guess I'm a I don't know I'm focused more on the problems than solutions sometimes I, I was gonna end it there and he's like no no good no yeah don't just freak people out right he's like give, give them some solutions and uh, actually you know I, I it's it's what made me really dig into a lot of the trivium stuff uh, more more than uh, more than I actually had any kind of you know my very surface uh, knowledge of it prior um, but so so the first one um, is to maintain local control and to maintain public control of local control of your schools. That means locally elected school boards. Okay, um, you know, not uh, you know, the, there's a guy. He's the I don't, he might still be the CEO in Netflix. He might still have some uh, board. He's a board member or something. He's a big wig at Netflix. His name's Reed Hastings, and uh, he does a TED talk. You probably still find it where uh, it was a while back where he talked about how charter schools were better. The public private system was better. The corporate system was better. Because he said, basically, you know, elections are messy and, you know, you don't have, uh, he didn't say continuity of government, but I'm just going to use that term, um, where basically you can, you can carry your agenda from one, you know, for every four years, you can just keep pushing that thing step by step forward. You don't have to worry about somebody, you know, some families coming in and voting and saying, hey, we, you know, we don't like this, this, this socio-emotional learning stuff. Hey, we don't want precision ed or, hey, we don't want whatever. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, the public school system is, there's a lot of problems in it, you know, um, but, you know, if, if you do away with the locally elected school board system, you're going to have the same people in charge, which is basically the federal and state government in partnership with very, very large multinational corporations, right? And so for as messy as it is, and, you know, for, as, you know, for us, you know, bumpkin citizens, we're not experts, right, to be in there making decisions about how we want to live our lives. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what, you know, our constitution Yeah, because everybody about, else you know, knows so. better for us how to live our own lives, right? Well, experts, yes, experts always know more than Right, <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. So, Nancy um, Pelosi knows best, right, you know? Yeah, well, all yeah, all the Congress, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the, lo that's the local, that's pretty much, uh, that's the main thing there. Um, 
uh, you know, so that means no charter schools. Um, you know, people like to go there because, you know, they have a lot of times, sometimes they have, they have better what they call outcomes, you know, but, a, but a lot of times, um, there's, they do funny stuff with the numbers too. Right. So, you know, when you're public private like that, sometimes they're on a lottery and they'll take, you know, the better students from the public schools nearby or, right. There's, there's, a, there's, they've been caught fudging numbers, just totally fudging test numbers. So, you know, some of that, some of that data isn't even accurate. And the other thing is, it's more, it's more important than just protecting, you know, hat keeping, which is very important to keep local control uh, of our school systems, to, to, to keep the parents in charge is another way I should put it. Okay, because, you know, I don't talk a whole lot about it, but I mean, you know, parents should be in charge of their kids. And it should be pretty obvious, right? I mean, that-, well, that No, it's a brave it. new world. Haven't you heard that dropped in every other Netflix movie? Say it again. <clears throat> I said, well, it's a brave new world. Haven't you heard that line dropped in every other Netflix movie? Oh, oh, I dry that thought. Well, yeah, yeah, no, they got in new in, uh, Netflix shows with the, that as the title, right? Somebody said, I don't remember what it was. Oh, do they have that in the title now? Wow. You so know, a friend like, of mine show, sent me it and he, he was like, dude, you got to check it out. I, I never did. Dude, it's, yeah. it's like it cracked, you know, I canceled my Netflix subscription like two, three years ago when the Obamas, uh, went on the board of directors i was like that's enough of that crap you know and it was like every show had to have uh, gay characters or transgender characters. it's like they're just shoving it down your throats but you know i'd be sitting there watching a movie on netflix and they would drop oh it's a brave new world you know and it's like oh come on you know and uh I'd be surprised how many people don't know what that oh know, yeah any but, of the connotation to it either yeah right I, but you know it's yeah. like when you when you know you can't not see it it's just such yeah. you know it's so yeah. in your face you know and you know and in that novel by the way mommy and daddy are bad words and when the and when the the world controller comes out and he's you know, he's telling, he's teaching some of these new uh, students. They're going to get ready. Well, to you know, over. you, you got to have uh, gender neutral. You know, it's parent one and parent two now. So they did get rid of mother and father, mommy and daddy, right? Well, you they know. didn't have any parents at all there. It was just, a, you know, a test tube, literally, because back, you know, in that right. novel, there and, was and, conveyor and that, belts. And, that yeah. they could, uh, you know, inject their, their chemicals into to create alpha, beta, de deltas, and epsilons, right? And... The epsilons being those with uh, autism, and of course, it's what one in twenty or one in forty now with autism. You know, and it's like, oh yeah, you know that that's something that that uh, that Huxley wanted and predicted. You know, well, he literally said he wanted a scientific caste system. I have all of his these books over here, the colored ones. Those are all of his nonfiction essays. My my dear wife bought those for me. Thank you, honey. Uh, and, and there's one in there, a note on eugenics, where he just talks about how it's just, just the best stuff. He talks about how Major Leonard Darwin's proposal to uh, have eugenic laws based on how much money you made. Yeah, he's going to tie your income to your genes. Right, right, there's right. There's one yeah. in there where he, he literally mentions, he says that we should have a scientific caste system. And it should be basically just like the Brahm, the you know, the sister Brahmins over the Sudras. Right. Well, yeah, that's 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 absolutely what they're promoting. And you know, it's, Al, Aldous Huxley is the single biggest psychopath I have ever studied in my life. The guy was a complete nut job. You know, when, when you tell I think I think I, I think I told you, you know, he used to live on the next mountain ridge over, you know, and I've I've been to the house where he used to live and i literally you know it, it, it's well you know it's too bad that the smith and wesson 500 wasn't invented just for him you know because 
there are some things that need atomizing. You know, he, most people think that when you, if you ever mention like the stuff we say, they'll say like, wasn't he against that stuff in that book? And oh, it's a, it's, it's a, a warning. Comedy. It's yeah. It's a warning. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, Eric Blair or, or George Orwell's, uh, 1984. Well, Eric Blair was a student of, you know, for those who don't know, Eric Blair was George Orwell's real name. But Eric Blair was a student of Aldous Huxley. You guys are getting rip drunk tonight. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like uh, the, you know, it's, you know, and Eric Blair's version was, was rule by force where Aldous Huxley's was rule through mind control and through, uh, cognitive submission and getting you know getting rid of the chains and getting people to think that they were free when they weren't you know so aldous huxley's version was the final revolution so aldous huxley promoted hypersexuality um you know psychedelic drugs you know he being the the uh architect of the cia's mk ultra program basing it on his book brave new world etc so when you look around society politely with the huge holes in their ears and all of the archaic revival stuff going on, oh, well, you know, tattoos all over my body, huge ears. You know, people don't even know that the that the uh, septum piercing was for pigs and, and cattle, and it was, uh, you know, for, for livestock, for controlling, for drugged out, you know, and he... You know, people, you know, one of the biggest attacks that I get is, well, you know, mushrooms or ayahuasca or peyote or XYZ drug was created before the CIA. Therefore, they couldn't be used for mind control. When all of these societies use these things to to inculcate the youth into the culture, you know. And so it's like uh, Marlene DeRios's quote. Let me pull it up here. Uh, she talks about it, you know, using them in the antinomian context. Um, uh, so she says psychedelic substances like ayahuasca create a state of hypersuggestibility in which persons are very open to being influenced by others. Many traditional cultures have utilized this condition to inculcate cultural values and behaviors in young people as they receive initiation into adulthood. In the West, counterculture, follow what the word means, counterculture, countercultural values can be inculcated in youth or in young people when using these psychedelics, especially when using them in an antinomian context. And of course, antinomian means against Christian values, you know, so... Uh, or of or relating to the view that Christians are released by grace from the obligation of observing moral law. So, in other words, they want to use psychedelics to promote the fall of humanity. There's a reason why the Bible opens in Genesis chapter 3 with a warning about eating the fruit of the tree and the fall of humanity. So, you know, you have uh, uh, Aldous Huxley and uh, Tim Leary talking about... um, rolling on the floor with laughter over the the use of these substances. So this is from uh, Larry's book, Flashbacks. 
and it's a conversation between Larry and Aldous Huxley. Sorry, guys, I, I don't know if you guys can are even going to remember this conversation tomorrow. Your your hangovers are going to be so bad. But uh, he says these are evolutionary matters, and this is Huxley talking to Larry. They cannot be rushed. Work privately. Initiate artists, writers, poets, jazz musicians. Elegant courtesans, painters, rich bohemians, and they'll initiate the intelligent rich. Okay, there's a conversation about Huxley tying it to rich people. Uh, that's how everything of culture and beauty and philosophic freedom has been passed on. Of course, that's just sophistry and nonsense. Your role is quite simple. Become a cheerleader for the evolution. That's what I did in my grandfather before me. He's referring to Thomas Henry Huxley, who is... Darwin's propaganda manager or Darwin's bulldog promoting that horse crap. These brain drugs, mass-produced in laboratories, will bring about vast changes in society. This will happen without you or me. All we can do is spread the word. The obstacle to this evolution, Timothy, is the Bible. Tim, I don't remember any discussion of brain drugs in the Bible. Timothy, have you forgotten the very first chapters of Genesis? Jehovah says to Adam and Eve, I have built you this wonderful resort eastward of Eden. You can do anything you want, except you are forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Tim, the first controlled substances. Aldous, exactly. The Bible begins with fruit and drug prohibitions. Tim, so the fall and original sin were caused by the taking of illegal drugs. By this time, Aldous was chuckling away very pleased with himself, and I was rolling on the floor with laughter. This is while they're dosing, apparently, is what they're talking about? No, they're they're talking about using, you know, they're talking about promoting the drugs to the kids to create the fall of humanity so that they can mind control everybody through the rich and elite. You know, this is Aldous Huxley's idea of the final uh, revolution, you know, and then uh, going to this quote, um, why would why would Aldous say the obstacle to this evolution, Timothy, is the Bible? They state the first controlled substances. Exactly. The Bible begins with food and drug prohibitions. So the fall and original sin were caused by the taking of illegal drugs. And then, you know, just to prove the point that they were Satanists, uh, Timothy Leary says, uh, I've been an admirer of Aleister Crowley. I think that I'm carrying on much of the work that he started over 100 years ago. Yeah, I I know about I've heard that quote, that one I knew, and then Huxley was friendly with him too, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, these are full-blown Satanists promoting the fall of humanity through the psychedelic (laughs) drugs and hypersexualization. You know, Huxley is such a genius in all his wisdom. What he does is he reads the Bible and then he takes it and inverts it and does the exact opposite. The Bible says, you know, if you want to build a high culture, and there's a book by Unwin, uh, J.D. Unwin, called Sex and Civilization. And uh, in this book, it talks about how to build a high culture, you have to suppress sexuality. So Huxley reads this book, and you can go on Wikipedia under Unwin's uh, book and it's like and and Aldous Huxley raved on about the importance of this book well all Huxley did was take it and invert it and do the opposite so the bible says you know to build a high society we have to you know control our sexual urges unwin study says we need to control our sexual urges so what we're going to do is we're going to give kids sexual uh, or give kids psychedelic or suggestogenic drugs and put them in the mud like 
pigs like swine in front of their graven images or their rock idols, Jimi Hendrix and the rest, and get them to fornicate in the mud. And then, you know, this is the the collapse of society. So he just takes what is taught in this stuff and does the exact opposite. He just inverts everything. You know, so it's not genius, it's just psychopathy. But, you know, you've got I- idiots in the CIA who took this as, yeah, you know, we got to control the whole world and we're going to destroy our own culture and our own, own society with this stuff, right? So this is the foundation of all of this crap, the, the counter culture. So we have our culture and they want to go counter to it and break it and destroy it. You know, so uh, as you know, Aldous Huxley wanted to dumb everybody down as much as possible and get them doing all of this behavior to wipe out our society. And then he and and his Fabian socialist nitwits would create this new dystopian Marxist nightmare through this system. So this is what we see in, in progress all around us for those of us who've read the Bible and can actually see it. And for everybody else, they think that you know, transgender and butt sex and whatnot is their great and, and doing as many drugs as possible is their greatest freedom. So well, Huxley's, you know, it's, 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 you know, the inversion thing, if you ever read his nonfiction, it's very interesting, you know, because it's prose. And so you, in some ways you get in, you kind of get a window into how his mind thinks in, in a certain way, more than his fiction, right? Because fiction is loaded with symbols and inference. Um, and it's very Rogerian. He, he always starts with, the, the, these two possible outcomes and he kind of plays them off against each other and then by the end he tries to bring you to this middle ground which is really more towards right the the opposing side than you uh than he's taking you he's taking you in a direction but the whole time it seems like he's being very neutral and just looking at both sides but he but he ends up in a very clear position by the end of it and he's kind of he's as he takes you along he kind of you know this is carl carl when i say rogeri and i mean carl rogers his approach to psychology was that instead of, well, essentially the rhetorical spin on it, easier if I just explain it rhetorically instead of doing my ADHD thing and uh, forgetting where I was. So, so in rhetoric, do- classical rhetoric, you take a thesis, which is like an enthymeme, and then you, from there, deduce your main points, right? And you you start with your, with your main point, and then you persuade the audience to come over to that side with your reasoning and your evidence. Okay. In the Rogerian uh, method, basically you start from this neutral position and then you you describe the other person's side, the things you agree with that side. And then you show them these other things that he or she might disagree with. And then you slowly kind of go back and forth until you've, you've kind of nestled that person over onto the other side very gradually. That's how I was writing. We have a couple questions. Uh, Rainey asked where in the Bible, or you know, that was a conversation between uh, Aldous Huxley and Larry discussing that, but that is Genesis 3 of the Bible where it talks about the fruit of the tree. Also, Carl Rogers was part of the CIA's MKUltra subproject 97, and that is right there. And he influenced uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonsense, uh, nonviolent communication and uh, neurolinguistic programming, or NLP. And of course, that was more mind control to focus on your or my feels rather than the facts of a situation. So more, uh, more CIA stuff. Um, so, uh, let's see who was it? Uh, somebody asked to what end, who was that? Oh, uh, Stefan asked, uh, Stefan Thurman asked to what end all of this is about social control, social engineering, control of the 
by the few of the masses. That's really what it comes down to. And getting, you know, it's mind controlling people. It's getting people to believe lies rather than following truth, following logos, which is what you and I have been discussing here, John, throughout this uh, three-part series. So, you know, it's all about <clears throat> simply controlling the mass population and dumbing them down as far as, po as possible. You know, and, and we're going to get into another solution here in just a moment. But in the 1800s, in the single-room schoolhouses, the solution was teaching the trivium. And we created one of the highest cultures ever in, in a matter of decades by teaching the trivium in these single-room schoolhouses. And that was a big no-no. So in the early 1900s, they wiped out the single-room schoolhouses and created this this uh, system of grade education that we have now, whereas the reason why the single-room schoolhouses were so good was that the older students taught the younger students. And by the time they finished eighth grade, they had the equivalent of what would be a master's or a bachelor's degree education today. And most bachelor's degree students couldn't pass an eighth grade graduation test from the 1880s or 1890s today. So probably myself included. So, um, you know, um, I was might just... add to that too. Another end is to literally become their own gods. I mean, because... so and Rupert Fellows is saying LSD is not a sex drug; it reduces libido. Um, you know, it's all about hyper suggestion. They're getting people high on drugs. You can look at the videos of Woodstock of of you know the free love, free sex thing, and of of the '60s and. Kate Ashbury and all of that, the the summer of love and all of this stuff. And then you can, you know, make a little connection there and stop uh, trying to, you know, maybe for you in particular, it reduces libido, but certainly for everyone it doesn't. And it also depends on dosage as well. But uh, there was a reason why it was called the summer of love. They were, you know, promoting hypersexuality. The same, you know, that's why, you know, they, you know, all the naked girls and, and boobies everywhere at Woodstock and all this stuff. And I've you can go back into my archives and the earlier shows. I went to Woodstock and did a whole bunch of shows exposing all of that and the fraud behind that and, and, and whatnot. So uh, the same people involved in uh, Woodstock as, you know, Aleister Crowley, who was the guy we said earlier. I'm already forgetting now. Um, what was his Paul Rogers? Oh, uh, Joseph uh, Campbell, this yeah. clown here. Joseph Campbell lived at uh, at the Maverick Festival at Woodstock. He lived there, uh, Woodstock, New York, and he was behind the creation of a lot of this stuff. So these guys all worked together. He was a big Crowleyite. Uh, while Aleister Crowley was on a Sopus Island in the Hudson River about 20 miles away, painting on the rocks, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, which, of course, is an Islamic uh, reference. Is Islam worships will, whereas Christianity worships logos. And so all the Satanists worship will. Islam worships will. But uh, at, the, at the Maverick, uh, it was their creed was do what you want to, which is the same thing as do what thou wilt. So, you know, just... You know, this guy, Joseph Campbell, he's he's made into a hero, ironically, the hero's journey. But he was a big time psychopath and nut job. But Star Wars is is based on his stuff. So anyway, um, let's get into uh, 
did we talk about digital student? Let's talk about uh, abolish. Yeah, abolish psychological conditioning next. Yeah. So that means two things. Um, you know, we talked about what the, what we mean by the psychological conditioning method in education. It, it basically means um, what's the what's called the behaviorist method, or, or what B.F. Skinner called operant conditioning. His predecessors called it behaviorism. People like John B. Watson. Uh, and then, you know, the precursor to that would have been classical conditioning, also known as stimulus response conditioning, which goes back to Wilhelm Wundt, who we mentioned uh, was basically the godfather of laboratory psychology as a science, as opposed to a subdiscipline of philosophy. Um, and so, you know, those methods are largely, they largely target the nervous system. Uh, Pavlov's dog is the, one of the most well-known examples of how stimulus response uh, operant and slash behaviorist conditioning all work. It's basically on this mechanism of uh, when you, uh, you you are exposed to a particular stimulus in the environment that triggers uh, a behavioral response at the nervous system level uh, and that you can condition people to have particular responses to particular stimuli by associating those stimuli with rewards and punishments. And so as opposed to teaching people to use their own minds to uh, identify uh, the environment around them uh, and to understand it through formal logos uh, from their own thinking, from their own mind, you basically bypass the reason, you bypass the thinking process and you, you, you target the nervous system. Uh, this has been a method that's been deployed in schools since as early as John Dewey. Okay. And, you know, so this is over a hundred years basically. And, um, at the early stages, it's largely about scheduling particular lessons as stimuli to elicit, uh, particular responses on a schedule. Okay. Uh, you know, a good, a good way that you might've seen, everybody probably has actually seen this, uh, growing up in the classroom be this, maybe you remember they had gold stars versus detentions, right? I mean, this is just one little system, right? Uh, the, the, whole, the whole breaking down or the, of, uh, of the arts and sciences into these hyper-specialized subjects is also part of it, right? Because you're narrowing down the stimuli so that they elicit very specific responses. And then the bell system, right? So, you know, you're for 30 minutes or you know, 30 minutes about 75 minute class, okay? And then the bell rings, you go to the next class and then the bell rings and you go, and just like Pavlov's dog, you ring the bell, here's the food. Um, and you know, the dog salivates by association. So that means abolish these methods in terms of how you actually administer, you know, paper and pencil curriculum, how you administer uh, discipline, motivation, all this type of stuff in the classroom. The second level of that means to remove all of the behaviorist technologies. This means the stimulus response technologies that we talked about in previous podcasts, uh, such as the adaptive learning software, which basically works on the stimulus response mechanism. The stimuli is whatever question answer window you have to respond to. Maybe it has a video or some other illustration. Okay, then your response, based on your response, the speed of it and the accuracy of it, it'll give you an algorithm. And that algorithm will therefore track you either into academic curriculum or career pathways, workforce training curriculum. So it means to abolish the psychological conditioning method uh, at the paper and pencil at the old school level, at, but it certainly also means uh, 
not just to abolish the, the current technologies, but to prevent them from progressing into data mining and, and, and uh, engine, socially engineering students at the, at the nervous level. Digital student privacy. So stu digital student privacy means, you know, I'm not a Luddite. I mean, we're on the internet right now. We're using technology. I mean, you know, I, this stuff is good in many, many ways. Um, but we have to have privacy. We have to have some kind of privacy moving forward here. I mean, if we, if, if our, if individual rights and you having sovereignty over your own consciousness in any way in a democratic republic where you actually get to have your own free will means anything, uh, then you have to have the Fourth Amendment. You have to have a certain standard of privacy. Um, and so that means that, you know, we know that all of these technologies, in some ways, they have to have a certain level of data mining because they operate on, on data feedback. I mean, just to be, just to maintain systems, uh, to update and things, you have to, you know, it has to have a data feed. So I'm, so that means that either the data, certain data certainly should not be tracked at all, okay? But some data, if it absolutely has to be tracked, it needs to be stored as a medical record or a HIPAA record or something like that. You know, I'm not, I'm also not against, you know, the, using uh, behaviorist methods. This has actually been shown to be used for people that do actually, on the, that are on the spectrum. Okay, some of these methods have been shown to, to work. Uh, I've had, I've had people that actually worked at some of the places that are also against it, but there's, there's literature that says that it works. Um, but insofar as we're going to use any of these new technologies, biofeedback and stuff like that, it could be good uses for some of this stuff. Um, it has to be treated as a medical device and a medical record that only the doctor should see. And, you know, it shouldn't be uh, being passed from teacher to nurse to the school resource officer, et cetera. Uh, and there should also be what's, what some states are trying to pass, which is called the right to be forgotten law. So, you know, when the student reaches 18, you know, the, that student can erase, maybe the student can erase all that data. Or, you know, and by the way, I talked about having it broader consumer rights for just the, the, fun, the devices we use. I think that should be, that should be a law that we should have just all around, but at the, at the school level, certainly. Um, I do want to take this time to also mention the, the reason why I, why I see that, you know, that there, there is a space for that is because, you know, in some ways, I think that the transhumanist technologies might be inevitable, and that is because there are several technologies for the brain-computer interfaces, which are uh, applied to help people with very serious conditions, which I don't think anybody would want to not help them with, and those include epilepsy, paralysis, um, um, things like that. If you um, and I actually had a, had a really close friend that, that had he had epilepsy and stuff. He recently passed away. Um, and so, you know, like I've thought about that many times, you know, um, but the, the, the strange thing is that it's on a slippery slope because, the, you know, uh, I always use the example of Oscar Pistorius, right? He was faster than people that had regular legs, okay? And so the person that was once had a, had a disability, once they use, once they interface with these, these technologies, these brain-computer interfaces, I mean, they might be able to do things that, you know, a, a non-augmented uh, person cannot do, which is going to create the incentive for, well, now, you know, we have to compete. And so everybody needs to somehow, you know, get on board or be left behind as a, you know, at the digital split. Um, so I, you know, that, that is just, that is just something that I think we'll have to figure out as we go. But 
certainly moving in as much as we're going to be inching in that direction uh we have to absolutely be very very careful about how about how we move forward but also we need to we need to have way more privacy and way less data mining i mean you know and maybe there's a way to to put that together um but certainly you know just student records yeah the, shouldn't be data mining uh you know students emotions and, and all this basically non-academic stuff uh that has no bearing on whether or not they should be going to college etc what's the best way yeah you know and it's like okay you know i've had friends actually get run out of college because they were conservative christians you know run out like uh weren't allowed to go in or you mean they were already in the school and they, they just were in the school and got ran out yeah, I could see that. You know, I had a funny experience. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of like apolitical for the longest time. And when I went to college, uh, I just remember during the Bush years, I was like, hey, this isn't right. I don't like this war stuff. And they, everybody loved it. And then when Obama started doing the war stuff, I was like, hey, that's bad. And everybody, people that I was really close with. So, uh, oh, you're, you're a racist, John, if you don't support anything Obama does. Oh, they just didn't look at me. They just walked They just walked away. They literally, like, I'd say, like, hi, and they'd act like I wasn't there. It was one of the strange, that was one of my first, first, uh, you know, uh, understandings of, yeah. When you have a black Muslim president, you know, you can't have, you know, thinking is just not allowed, right? Well, I mean, you know, it, it for a lot for a lot of people it it was a it was a dream come true. I mean, it, it symbolized a lot of things in a lot of ways there could be a lot of positive things. I mean, just the idea that right, we finally had a black president. But I mean, right. it's like like we talk about, let's apply the same standard to everybody. War is right, bad right. for you Bush. Should, yeah. War is bad for Obama. Well, Obama did 10 times more airstrikes than George W. Bush, you know. And, of course, nobody wants to admit that. Of course, they want to be the party of peace and whatnot, but nobody wants to admit that. You know, it's, I lived in, uh, in Serbia in the 90s with my ex uh, when the Clintons were bombing Serbia, you know. And, you know, it was like, you know, the, the, everything that I saw on the news versus what was happening on the ground was totally different you know and that was when i really woke up to how much the mainstream media lies about foreign policy you know and it was just it was a real eye-opener watching the 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 clintons at work on the ground over there you know um let's get to uh what how do we get back to the basics with all of this um so okay oh yeah rob okay yeah, so back, that means going back to the classical method. It means going back to the trivium, basically. Right? Grammar, logic, rhetoric, right? Understanding, right? You know, the basis that what we just talked about, right? Right. That, you know, truth means you apply a, a standard to the same, you know, the same standard to, to all you don't You don't think with right? emotion. Yeah, it's not the relativist fallacy. It's only, this only applies to the white guy and not the black Muslim guy, et cetera. Yeah, and I, you know, I looked at, uh, you know, in that chapter, you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, I largely juxtaposed it. It's that chapter is very philosophical, you know, uh, and I juxtaposed it with, you know, uh, the the new system is what we would call deconstructionism, right? And so, you know, it's not just the behaviorist method. The behaviorist method is basically targeting the nervous system, like we just said. But then, you know, there's also uh, a, a, an undergirding philosophy that goes along with this, and this is called deconstructionism. Okay, 
and it has other flavors and other branches. There's stuff called thing theory, object-oriented ontology. They all are on this same spectrum of what you often call moral relativism or just, just relativism in general, okay? Uh, but, you know, we talk about logos and they have a term. They call us logocentric. And you should, instead, you're supposed to be text-centric. And this is a term they use. It's a deconstruction. Essentially what it means is that, right, the, the meaning is not grounded in the truth of reality. The meaning is grounded somewhere in the text, but the text is actually an artifact in space and time relative to the person that distributed it. So it actually has different meanings depending on who reads it and when they read it. Right. That's, right. Right. That's right. The and you can't. And you can't. And you don't want to ever fact check their citations and their work or anything because, you know, then you expose their their intellectual academic fraud and whatnot and that's never good you know yeah but you know see in logic the 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 first axiom of logic is that reality is real you know and then you work from there but you know for for this nonsense to work they first have to attack reality and say that it's all relative based on time and who wrote it and whatnot and you know, never mind the person's agenda who wrote it and if they were lying or telling the truth, if they were fudging their citations, etc. So you ignore all of that. You ignore these academic circle jerks that we talked about at the beginning of the show, or I don't know if it was before the show started, but, uh, you know, all of this stuff ends up playing into it, but they don't want people to know how to think. They want to tell people what to think. And that's the major difference. You know, you know, universities used to teach people how to think. And in fact, you know, in the single room schoolhouse days, people were taught how to think by the time they were, you know, 13, 14 years old. And so this is why in the 1800s, you had kids that could run corporations, whereas today, you, you know, most kids can't, you know, get, you know, accomplish much of anything, right? So, it was, you know, and, and people, it was a rugged life. You went out and you did, you went out and you helped the family. You went out and you farmed, you, you ran the cattle herds. You, you did all of these things that, you know, you didn't think that food was something that you got from the grocery store out of a wrapper. You went out and you grew and raised your own food, you know, and it's like, you know, people today are so emotionally driven that they think that they're their food is an emotional issue. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to kill this. It's, it's like it's my cow. Oh my god! You know, I'm I'm just you know it's 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 a chicken. Oh my god! If I just eat this soy burger, the the world would be so much better. Oh my god! You know, so they they don't even get that all life comes from the consumption of other life, and it's just how it is. And stop, you know, stop uh, eating my cow's food. You know, with your with your with your vegan and vegetarianism my cow needs that stuff you know but that might so. be a good place to actually to, to jump into number five then too because metaphysics yeah. right like right. the first first cause right uh you know metaphysics is not the the uh new agey stuff that you find in the the new age section in the bookstore about it's, it's the you know, part that comes the it's the part that comes before physics metaphysics yeah, right. And so, right, uh, a good way to illustrate that, and, and in some ways, this is kind of where it does kind of have, you know, the, uh, I don't want to say that, but, you know, the in the classical sense of the word spiritual dimension, which is, 
Uh, I always tell my colleagues, I say, you guys are going to think I'm a bumpkin when I say this, but I'm still convinced by the cosmological argument, right? So I came from daddy, daddy came from grandpa, grandpa came from great grandpa. You keep going back. All the way, tied back to your ancestors all the way through time. So are you saying that your ancestors didn't climb out of a mud puddle all at once? And You know, uh, know, I can actually... I, you know, I don't subscribe to, to, to that, but I can, I can be agnostic or skeptical on how the actual physics played out its development, but we have to admit that there, even the physics, right, even the cause and effect of, it doesn't have to be human beings, it can be the cause and effect of chemistry. Of, right. Of, well, my, so, my question, John, yes. would be, since all life consumes other life, just a fact, how many life forms crawled out of the primordial mud all at once to feed the other life forms? There's a perfect uh, absurdity, right? <laughs> the, the absurdity I was getting toward was, right, how did something come from nothing, right? right. Whatever well, you know, the, the well, physics you get the, that is matter, how did it come from nothing? You get the big bang in the black hole, you know, for those who get the joke. Yeah, you told me about that joke beforehand. I was not a big bang in a big bang in the black hole. Come on, people, you can get this. You can get it. You can get it. So, so you know, and again, even even if we want to use these scientific tropes, the big bang, evolutionary, that's that still does not produce. That still does not preclude the cosmological argument. What was the uncaused cause? If every cause, if every effect came from a cause. What was the first thing? The first thing had to be an uncaused cause. The first thing couldn't be an effect, right? Right. And well, so, and then it comes yes. back to logos. So, and this is where, right? And exactly. And that. And by the way, this is this is why this is the basis for the golden rule because this means that the universe was here before we were here. The universe was here before our consciousness was here, which means that everybody has this, this same equal right to be here as everybody else, regardless of what your consciousness might think or feel. And so, right, this is the beginning. This is also the beginning of logos in ethics, right? Um, and so, you know, I, you know, that's, I, there's people that will tell you, colleagues of mine will tell you that, you know, that, that you can have an empirical metaphysics, that it doesn't have that, you know, you can have a metaphysics without, um, without, you know, the cosmological argument, you know, oftentimes, you know, people actually, you know, people like that will oftentimes cite Nietzsche, Nietzsche is basically, if Nietzsche had a first cause, it was will. Okay. And so you're still left in a, in a very agnostic position. You know? If it and was so will, then you're a, a position, Satanist Muslim, right? Which Nietzsche was. So. Well, certainly in a position where, you know. He, he uh, gave himself syphilis to prove a point, which didn't turn out so well. Who did that? Nietzsche. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, he, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, you know, some people say, well, did he really have it or did he just go mad? Yeah, yeah Rupert makes a good point. Yes, in the beginning yeah, was absolutely. the one and the one became two and then the two created three, you know, and then. Yeah, well, so, but, you know, when Will is your is your metaphysics, you know, Nietzsche was a guy that, you know, when, uh, thus spoke Varasustra, you know, when he talks about the murder of God. You know, I used to hear that going through college and God is dead. And I was like, what? Like, but he actually wasn't saying that and clapping his hands. He was saying that like, we have no basis. We have no. We have no logos now. And so, you know, he tried to come up with a basically what what later would become existentialism. Uh, uh, you know, this he called it transvaluation. And basically, you know, it was largely based on courage and will, and just somehow pushing forward with your, you know, just with your will. And it, when you're in that state, 
you know, just like we said, you're prone to, you know, if not, you know, destined to relativism and contradiction, because right at some point your will is going to run up against reality and you're going to have to go, oh, I need to, I need to not have will right now. I need to remove myself from the passions and think about, you know, and conform myself. The to natural order, man. Sure. Right. So, um, well, so and that that's, was why and that's, I ended with, yeah. That's, that's the whole foundation between behind Huxley's Brave New World and the, the CIA's MK Ultra program, et cetera, is to get everyone to leave high culture, high thought, high everything, and return back to the natural man. Do what thou wilt is the whole in the law. So not the whole of the law, the whole in the law, correcting Aldous, or, uh, Alistair Crowley's uh, nonsense. But once you realize that it's the whole in the law, and then it's do what thou wilt, return back to the natural man, fornicating in the mud like swine, uh, et cetera, to the, your graven images or rock idols, then you can get the whole gig that they've been uh, promoting. Let's, let's finish with, uh, you want to talk about the multiverse and Sean Carroll? Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, so because it relates to the metaphysics, right? Right, and then we'll um, wrap it up here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Sean Carroll is a guy. He's like a, a he speaks on uh, you know quantum physics and things like that. Uh, and you know uh, he was talking about the, the 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 multiverse and the alternate reality, the simulation theory, all this type of stuff. There's many different views. There's me and you talking right now. Where right, 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 right. Of yeah. course, yeah, and of course the onus of proof is on him to prove any of it. But never mind such logical necessities oh, well there's no onus on him because what he says at the end of it is that well at the end of the day you should still behave as with class as as if classic classical mechanics was the only truth and as if classical morality based so on he logic and metaphysics so he negates about. his own hyper, uh, hyperbole yeah you know and i don't you know to me it's like what's the point in discussing this stuff if you if it doesn't have any grounding in reality now you know there's Quantum logic can produce certain, you know, computational feats that, you know, that are that are um, objective that you can actually, you know, demonstrate. But, uh, you know, when you start talking about right the simulation theory, you know, what it seems like to me is uh, propaganda to get everybody uh, excited about living in VR for the rest of their lives. Um, but yeah, for him, he basically says not only does he refute his own stuff, but he essentially defers to what we're saying. He says that you know you should basically behave as if there is one truth that comes from a transcendent cause that everybody has to conform to objectively through grace and, and uh, civility. Uh, hold on a second, I was just uh, responding. So that you know that's a good place to wrap it up. I think you got any more you want to add? Yeah, I think that's a good place. I, did I ADHD? I did. Well, I didn't, but I want to go real fast, but I go back to the Internet of Things on the AR. So what I was saying was the cool thing would be you drive up to the city, your brain chip is in, and as you pull up to the to these buildings, little pop-up menus come up in your retinal feed, and they'll tell you how many people are in the building. Is there traffic here? You know, uh, you can you, when you see people in public, their Facebook profile will pop up, and you can know all the stuff about them. You can figure out whether you want to talk to them before you even have to breach conversation, right? And so then, of course, the Trojan horse though is then you're you're being tracked nonstop biologically. But yeah, that's the, <laughs> I'll stop there. And then uh, thanks again, everybody that did block books and stuff. And, yeah, and, and buy. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you're welcome. And buy uh, John's book, School World Order. Hopefully, y'all got 
a lot out of this series. And uh, thank you so much, John. Thanks to those of you who threw up Super Chats during the show, Mr. Winners, Rianne, uh, there's a number of you who did, uh, really, or Rainy, a number of you who did. Much appreciated as well as, uh, who else? They're all in there. Anyway, appreciate it so much, all the support and love. Please uh, hit the subscribe and get your notifications as well. And please uh, support, donate to the show through Patreon and uh, also through, uh, and I'm throwing the links up there right now, which are down in the uh, show description. You can also go to logosmedia.com and whatnot and subscribe and donate there. We can't do it without you been doing the show for 12 years and of course we are running on the backup channel because of steve outram's bogus uh, copyright claims to try to shut down my channel after his uh, many years of harassment and trolling and all the things that he does uh with his uh you know uh what do they call those things larpers and whatnot he runs teams of trolls and whatnot that go around and harass uh different hosts but uh, hopefully the uh, main channel will be back up soon so we can live broadcast from there again soon. I will upload this episode there. It's like I said earlier tonight, this is also being broadcast on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, here, etc. I think it's being broadcast on four places in four places on Facebook. So um, anyway, thanks, thank you, everybody, and uh, have a great night. Thanks, Ken.